ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Okay, I, I messed up and hit record and didn't mute the background music and the first time and then did it again. <laughs> and we were talking for about three or four minutes and uh, only one side, I believe it was Ruben's side, was coming through. Um, so we're going to get into some elk talking uh, on with Ruben Cavallero, <clears throat> excuse me, out of Texas. What's happening, brother? How's it going, man? Glad to be on. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we'll have to go through the same two-minute spiel that you just did with the intro, man. (laughs) Got the nerves out of the way if there was any. (laughs) Like I said, uh, uh, yeah, I'm from South Texas, man, as as far south as you can get. The border of Mexico and Texas, a little town called San Benito. I've been bow hunting for over 20 years. Um, I've hunted elk the last two seasons. Um, And before that, you know, spent time prepping to finally get out in the woods, you know, uh, we're saying, um, as far as, uh, buying your elk tag, you know, that like you buy your elk tag. And as soon as you step on that mountain, it's worth the price of admission, man. Even, even just the experience you gain, even if you don't shoot something, just once your boots are on the ground, they're on the mountains, it's worth every penny, man. It's worth all the preparation that goes into it, man. It's, it's awesome. I love it. What, uh, so I'll qualify it again because I messed up on the first one there. Um, you know, typically we listen to a podcast and we're listening to a guy that has umpteen years experience or somebody that's come off of, you know, successful season or seasons um, and we get some lessons learned. But I think there's huge value in in guys having conversations that are 
still chasing, still pushing, still grinding, uh, but maybe not have notched that tag yet. I, I think there's immense value in that. Um, not just for the guys that are just getting into it, but even for the guys that are podcasting or putting out content so they can hear what, what guys are struggling with. Um, and not to say that you're struggling, but I think there's huge value in an episode like this. Um, so people can kind of, you know, relate to the struggle, you know, for oh, me, definitely. you know, for me, it's been what this is. That was my fourth season, Arrow to Bull, my first season, and then have been empty handed or excuse me. Haven't haven't loosed anything the last three seasons. Even my first season, I didn't get to lay hands on the bone. It's another story. Uh, rewind a, a bunch of episodes. You'll you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, so so what about elk, man? You you said that it's worth the price of admission. What one? What made you want to get out after them? And then two. What about elk? Just is like, man, I don't care. I'm grinding September to September. I'm putting in the work. I'm dedicated to this. Let's do it. Yeah, I, I started watching the stuff on YouTube and, uh, you know, uh, hunting whitetails. Uh, it's it's a challenge and uh, anything with a bow, anything you kill with a bow is a trophy, man. I don't care if it's a doe or if it's a hog or whatever, but just something about elk, it drew me in, man. Just hearing them bugle and 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 where they live, the terrain, how hard. Uh, the challenge look, it just drew me in. And and that's kind of like what caught my attention. Uh, the physicality of it, um, just, just everything, having to learn how to call, uh, all the gear that goes into it. It just seemed like something I wanted to chase. And uh, like I said, once I, once I put boots on the ground, there was no turning back after that, man. It was, uh, I was addicted, man. After my first elk hunt. Isn't it funny how, <sighs> For the lack of a better word, right? All that is the sex appeal, right? The the screaming bulls, the country they're in, those beautiful sunrises, sunsets. And then you go through that suck fest, but it loses. Once you realize what it really is, it, it doesn't lose any of the sex appeal, right? It, it it just makes it, it's like, oh, I want you even more, baby. It's a, it's yeah. a crazy, crazy pursuit. There's a lot of things we'll do in life. And it's just like, man, this is what, this is not, uh, not out of my league or whatever it is. Right. We'll, we'll reel it in. Uh, we won't push as hard. People will quit, but I don't know. At least I haven't met them or talked to anybody. It's like, man, you could have that elk hunting gig. It's not for me. Uh, it's way too involved and, I, and I'm not doing it. Yeah, no, I haven't met anybody like that. I actually had a partner, um, uh, that the crazy thing that happened was I, I had gone to, a um, an event. It was the uh, full draw film tour. They had an event in Houston. And I met this guy there, and uh, good guy. He he had an, uh, I hadn't heard from him in a while. And then all of a sudden, after two years of uh, trying to go on an elk hunt and people backing out, backing out on me, or you know, just not keeping me in the loop, um, this guy calls me out of the blue and says, "Hey man, you want to go on an elk hunt?" I was like, "Oh man, I haven't heard from this guy in like two or three years or whatever." And he's calling me to go on an elk hunt. And I was like, man, this is, you know, I guess God sent this person my way because, you know, it was the opportunity that I needed to get out there, you know? And uh, we ended up going on that elk hunt. And I, I met two other guys out there that went on that, uh, that were with us and shared camp with us. And uh, the guy that I went out there with, he, I don't know, I don't, it was his first elk hunt as well. 
But I don't know if he was expecting the same thing I was expecting. I, I already knew I was expecting it. It was going to be hard as hell. You know, uh, I, ex- I expected, you know, from all the research I had done and podcasts I listened to, videos I listened to, you know, I kind of knew what to expect. But once you get out there in those woods, man, it's it's harder than what it's what it looks like. And this guy that I went with, you know, he wanted to hunt off the roads. He didn't want to get into the woods. You know, so I spent the first couple of days, you know, hunting off the off off uh, off the roads, uh, not getting into the timber, I guess, because he was afraid. You know, so when we talk about elk hunting partners, it was like, OK, once we came back, it was like. That guy was out, you know, if, you know, if he wasn't going to change or if he wasn't going to uh, put in the same uh, level of commitment that I was going to put in, um, you know, great guy. I had nothing bad to say uh, about him, but that wasn't what I, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't what I was looking for in a hunting partner. And um, uh, I'm, I'm thankful for it, for the opportunity for him inviting me. You know, but uh, after that, I, I mean, I'm uh, Alan is a gentleman that was that was out there with, and man, me and him have been in every day. Elk, uh, elk season finishes, and right off the bat, he'll send me a countdown for the next season. He says elk season starts now. He sends me that countdown, you know, and then we hold each other accountable. We're like, okay, what did you do today? I just hit the gym. I did this. I did that. You know, so what what, what are you looking at uh, at gear wise? What what are you going to do for next year? You know, it's we're already talking elk season. So that's the kind of guy I want on my corner, you know? So, but yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's excited, man. He can't wait to hear this uh, episode. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to actually, that'd be a good episode to get him on and, and, and talk about that too. Right. Cause he's, he's offered a, a substantial amount of mentorship your way. Um, and it, it's a big deal, right. To, to pass stuff along. Um, but I, I think for most of us that hunt elk, that's what we want to do, right. We want other people to experience that for the, you know, it's going to sound cliche, but that magic that only in my head, at this point, only September brings, man. Yeah. And, and on that last podcast, you were talking about how you called in a bull for somebody else, right? Well, we went out, uh, the first time I went on an elk hunt, it was actually a rifle hunt, right? And I, I just didn't want to turn down another opportunity. I, I didn't want to be like, oh, it's not with a bow, so I'm not going to go. You know, so I went out there with a rifle on my first elk hunt. And uh, I spotted a bull from far away. Um and Alan looks at me, he's like, you spotted him, it's your bull. You want to go after him? And I was like, boom, we're gone, man. It, it, and it looked, he looked closer than what he was. By the time I knew it, and I looked at Onyx, I was already two miles in, man. Two miles in, and we're, and, and we're still going after him. I got to about maybe 400 yards. I just didn't feel comfortable with that shot. And um, we backed out. But uh, that whole hunt, I, after that day, I, mean, I hunted hard. And on the way home and even weeks after that, I would close my eyes and I, I'd be like, man, I should have just pushed a little harder. I should have gone after him. I should have gone after him. But I mean, that experience was awesome. It haunts you to this day though. But that, oh, that's hey. probably some of the motivation that, that turned you around to that September to September guy. Right. So now when you look at it, you're like, Hey, I got to hit it harder, faster. And that mountain means a little bit less, uh, when you're going, it's always when you turn around and see where you got to go back to that. And then you realize like, Oh Lord, what did I do? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. And and uh, like I, like stuff like uh, listening to podcasts. We talk about podcasts. I, man, I've been listening to your podcast for a while, and also listening to Elk Shape with Dan, Dan Staten. I, I actually actually went to Elk Shape camp in Texas last year, and uh, I I was able to pick up a bunch of, of nuggets and stuff from from being there. Man, that was awesome. If you ever get a chance to attend one of those camps, it's it's awesome. It's it's good to have a. I want to say a community. It's a community. It's a group of guys, and, and everybody wants to see everybody do better, you know. And uh, we want to pass this whole thing we call elk hunting uh, along to future generations. And uh, the more we know, the more knowledge we gain, and then we pass that knowledge on. It's better. It's better for for hunting. Heck yeah, man! So the call, right? You got the call. And you said that you were, you know, a couple years in um, and hadn't gone yet. And I want to talk about that, right? Because there's there's a ton of people that that find themselves in that situation uh, or maybe in that, you know, right now they're looking at their second year of prep. We'll call it my, one of my good friends, uh, Caesar, you know, he had been man, that, that guy is a hell of an archer. Um, and it was the same thing, man. I think he had been. He'd been behind the string for five years and never got a tag at home. Uh, his first his first hunt was an elk hunt because he just he hadn't. Well, I shouldn't say it like that. He, he did hunt a pig here, a guided hunt. But he you know, he considers that elk hunt his first real hunt. You know, um, I'm not sure why, but there's a lot of folks that follow that path. But then in hindsight, in, at least in my opinion, if you have some of the gear, if you have your bow and you're, you're confident in your shot, you just got to go. You just got to get out and go for it. What what was the determining factors? And then, you know, walk us through kind of the thought process there so that if, you know, if there's a guy that's in that year or second year considering going or is very hesitant, maybe they don't make that same uh, that same call. Yeah, um, it's hard when it's when you don't have we, we were talking about mentorship, right? Uh, when you don't have that one guy that's going to push you or that one guy that's going to, you know, give you a helping hand. Uh, I spent two years looking at videos, reading books, trying to get quote unquote, the perfect gear. But I mean, there really isn't gear. Gear is going to be, everybody has different needs. Right. And not everybody needs the same kind of gear. You know, you need the basics. And once you get that, I mean, don't let gear keep you off the mountain. You know, don't, uh, don't, don't, don't let it be like, okay, you know, if I, if I only had this, you know, I'm going to wait till next year. If I ha- if I have this piece of gear, it, man, it's going to be perfect because you're going to do that. And then something else is going to come along and you're going to be like, Oh, I need that. You know, that's really going to help me out. You know, what's really going to help you out is getting out there and putting those boots in the ground and, and, learning how to use your onyx, learning how to use your elk calling, um, you know, stuff like that. I mean, that's the, that's the real experience that you need. I mean, gear is going to come and go and it's always going to be changing. There's always going to be upgrades. So if, if you're going to wait for that, I mean, you're, you're never going to get out there. Yeah. You know? a, that's a never ending cycle. Yeah. And, and you can temper, you can temper your hunt, right? I mean, if you, you know, you feel like, Hey, I don't have, you know, my boots are, questionable right temper your hunt if you think you can do a mile or two in those boots you know you base camp out uh minimal style i don't care if you're sleeping in the back of the truck um 
I've curled in the back of the vehicle before, you know, on the back seat, freezing cold, uncomfortable as all get up. But you can temper your hunt to fit the need, but there's no replacement. There's no amount of YouTube. There's no amount of podcast uh, that are going to replace that time on the mountain. And I think what happens, too, is when you when you get out to the mountain and, and you know, say you're going to Colorado and you get to Colorado and, and you think, you know, by looking online that you have it mapped out. Oh, I got this. I'm gonna go here. I'm gonna go here. And then you get out there and you go, Oh my good. Oh yeah. Oh wow. You know what I mean? And that, and that 80 foot tree is, you know, two inches and you're looking at it, it's like, that's only about a quarter mile away. What did I do to myself? Yeah. Cause there's, there's no amount of e-scouting that you can do or look at Onyx or, I mean, they're all great tools, right? But looking at your phone and looking at your computer and then actually being out there and looking at, canyons and looking at you know the trees being out there and and looking at different uh terrain i mean it's it's gonna just overwhelm you smack you, know? you right in the that's, face <laughs> oh yeah that's what i'm saying like the, the best experience is getting out there that's 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 i mean bottom line so so what did that look like you know when you talk about prepping or getting ready uh in that first couple of years with the podcast and and how did you how did you meander your way through all the information that's available to us and it was so much you know uh it's like you can listen to one podcast and listen to another podcast and then listen to uh watch youtube videos and when you start listening and watching all these things after a while, there's certain common factors that they all have. Right. And you'll, and things will just tie into each other. Like, okay, this guy's talking about this for a reason. This guy's talking about this for a reason. And it's the same topic. So you're like, okay. So you start thinking, okay, well, they know what they're doing, you know? So you start picking up on stuff like that. And, uh, it was just, you know, like I said, there's, there's no, there's no, uh, way to, uh, sidestep the experience of actually being out there i mean watching the videos and stuff yeah it's cool for entertainment and you get to see little things but there's only so much you're going to learn from like a 30 minute clip on youtube or a two-hour podcast you know you actually gotta get out there i'm gonna keep saying that because it's it's yeah it's the most important thing to me is you gotta get out there I, and you know, say a guy, you know, I'm not going to go this year. Maybe can't afford the tag. So, if you have, if you can't afford the tag, but you have the time, I would suggest oh, yeah. going out as a spectator in September. Maybe you could tag along on somebody's hunt and play, you know, play pack mule, um, camp cook, whatever it is, or go out and have a great backpacking trip just to get out. And and if you're, you know, you don't. In my opinion, I'm not going to go out in September while guys are hunting and call, but I could walk around the woods quietly and stealthy and up my game uh, to to learn a little bit and gain that experience. So that following year when, you know, when the money's right, um, I can go ahead and grab that tag. But I didn't miss that little bit of experience. It's not going to give you the experience of the hunt per se, but at least, yeah. you, you know, you may hear, see interactions, um, see how they move, learn the country you're in is hugely important uh, because a lot of guys can't go out on a scouting trip. They're traveling from, you know, Virginia, some guys in Texas, right? It's a hop, skip yeah. and a jump for the most part, but not everybody could do it. 
So instead of letting that time pass, get out there. You know, if you're not ready, if you're not proficient or don't feel comfortable behind the string, but getting out there, don't take the bow or take the bow and shoot in camp, you know, target practice when you're not packing around. I I definitely agree. I definitely agree with that. Uh, I mean, also you you go out with somebody, say for instance, uh, I'll I'll give you uh, a scenario. Say Alan, I go out with Alan and Alan shoots a, shoots a bull, right? And I have my pack. Well, guess who's going to help them pack that bowl out? Me, right? So that's experience right there. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I've heard it sucks, <laughs> but, it's something, but it's something I'm looking forward to, right? You know, uh, yeah, pack, packing, packing out that meat, you know, uh, getting, getting those miles, getting those miles in in the mountains. That's, it's, it's experience, man. You can't, don't, don't waste a year another year or another elk season saying, you know, I need this, or, you know, I'm waiting for the perfect scenario. It's, it's not going to happen. You just need to get out there. And there's only, you only get so many Septembers in your lifetime, man. Yeah. So you said something there and I didn't even consider it till you said it, Um, you know, getting out there and, and thinking about a pack out, right. If you, if you get out there successful, unsuccessful hunting, not hunting, when you get into that country and you realize what that country is ahead of time, you, you, you know how you're going to need to prepare to be successful in terms of fitness, right? Now, if you go out there and you think, okay, I'm, I'm jumping into this, I'm going on my first elk hunt and I'm going six miles in. Well, if you arrow bull six miles in and you haven't done anything in the country or haven't looked at it or haven't prepped for it, man, that's a, in my opinion, that's a disaster for some folks waiting to happen. Cause again, you get out there and it's like, man, that's, you know, 1200 foot of elevation in a quarter mile. That's freaking steep, man. Deadfall and everything else. So I, I think, I think what you said, you know, it, it just triggered something in, you know, Hey, I didn't kill nothing, but I'm, I'm here to pack out for somebody. That's a big deal. You know, you get your experience that way. Um, because, you know, the, what the saying is, and I don't care what animal is, once uh, once the hunt over, the real work begins. Yeah. Uh, me and Augie uh, went out this year, this past elk season, and we got out. And uh, I think it was uh, from camp, uh, heading out and back, we did about, I think it was about 14 miles on, on that one uh, outing. And uh, back and forth, of course. But uh we got into this one drainage and when we were at the very bottom of it, I was like, man, if we shoot something in here, dude, good luck. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then, and then especially if you don't have enough water, there's not water in the area, like to drink water, man, we're going to be in a world of hurt, man. Has, but, so uh, has that changed in, in, and I'm sure it has. So that was kind of a rhetorical question, but how, how has it changed in terms of how you look at your preparation and what you carry in your pack? Um, you know, since, since your first season to this season, cause that's, you know, it's a good point. A lot of places have been really hot, really dry. Uh, and you drop down expecting to see water, you know, because you're e-scouting and whatnot and you realize there's no water there. Um, I know for me, my, my first aid kit, um, it will, it will absolutely not leave my pack. There's times where, you know, here at home, I might do a, a day hunt, um, and I may not take it, but when I'm in the elk woods, man, it's, it's absolute necessity. Every time I drop in period point blank. Yeah, that did change the, from the, the first year that I went out there, like I said, with the rifle, uh, man, I don't even know if I had a first aid kit. 
Um, I had stuff to keep me comfortable out in the woods, but I didn't, I wasn't even thinking about stuff like that. Uh, like I went to that elk shape camp and they had a, a guy talking about uh, first aid and survival. And this past year, yeah, I, I got me a, an awesome first aid kit with a tourniquet and a quick clot and all, all the works, you know, and that's, that, that doesn't leave my, uh, my pack. You know, it's, uh, it's in one of my pouches and it's in bright red. So if I need it, or if I need somebody, uh, to get it from my bag without them knowing where it's at, I can say it's in the pack. It's in the first pouch, bright red. They can just pull that sucker out, you know? Um, but yeah, I know, uh, second year going in and kind of knowing uh, a little bit more of, of what to expect. Uh, my pack did change. Uh, what I took out there did change as far as water, uh, food, stuff that I I know I was going to need. It, it, it did change. So are you, uh, oh. what do you, what do you, uh, you know, and at this point, what do you think is, is, do you carry a bladder plus some kind of small, you know, maybe it's a Sawyer squeeze or a grail or something like that um, for water, you know, to filter water on the runner. How's that look? Yeah, I do have, I do carry a bladder and then I carry a Nalgene, uh, bladder's full, uh, Nalgene is full. And the first thing I'll start drinking out of is the Nalgene. Cause I'll, I'll make something like some, uh, wilderness athlete, uh, hydrate and recover. And I'll have that with me and then drinking out of my bladder. And then I also have my filtration system, uh, sort of squeeze. Uh, I've messed with that one too. Uh, man, Augie drank some disgusting water this year and, and I have a picture of it. He, he didn't take, uh, he didn't fill his bladder. So when we went out, when we went out, he, all he had was a, I think it was a 32 ounce, uh, Nalgene bottle. And when we, when we got to, dude, we got to this real steep, man, it was, it was steep. And when we got all the way to the bottom, there was like, I guess it was like, a. there used to be like a little pond or something like that. It looked like a wallow. It was you could that was cow feces and dude, you could see it was all stepped on and uh i said hey man you got that filter i got some pictures of that thing man it, the water was like chocolate <laughs> it was gross uh, you know the, the worst the worst part about that is right and and you can filter it and get the the protozoa and bacteria and viruses you know cleaned out of there but man if they're peeing and pooping and that stuff you still get that smell right so oh, it's dude, like it was, you're you're drinking that water and it's like oh man i still i can smell it, it that's horrible dude it was horrible man it was horrible <laughs> so he but he did filter it i thought you were gonna tell me he didn't uh, filter it no he no 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 he filtered it for sure i wasn't gonna let him not filter it yeah uh and that like i said that comes from experience from me that was his first elk hunt that was my second one so gladly I had enough knowledge to not, <laughs> not let him dig in and sip out of that water, right? Dude, you, I, I've done it. I, I shot a deer here some years ago and, uh, man, I ran out of water and all I had was a, a fanny pack, right? It was an old Gerber fanny pack. It had a pack in the back, a water bladder, um, on the shoulder straps and then two side pouches. And, uh, I ran out of water and that, that buck about killed me getting out of there. And uh, dude, I was, I mean, just parched thirsty. It's, you know, 90 degrees out. And, uh, I got to the point where was, I'm, I'm looking at the water and it's a decent flow. And, you know, I just went and just sat down in that stuff, man. And just, and, Oh, I was worried, dude. I was so, so worried, but nothing happened. And then we were up, 
this was probably two years ago, we were up past that area and there was a little bit of a spring and it was just coming out. And uh, man, I dipped, I mean, just a, a hand cup full and like that. And uh, whew, I that little sip of water and I'm like, okay, it's coming out of a spring. It's good. It wasn't good. I'll tell you, <laughs> jack oh, me up man. for a couple days, but I carry that, uh, the uh, Sawyer S3 getting back to, you know, the, the, the cow piss and poop. Um, and that Sawyer S3, it, it takes out like heavy metals and chemicals or, or pesticides and all the protozoa bacteria and everything. Um, and you don't have the smell. And that thing is, is, man, I love that thing. Super easy. It's like a silicone, uh, almost like a silicone plastic. And you just roll it down, put it even in low flow and you put it down and it just sucks the water in, squeeze it 10 times and it's good to go. And I've drank out of wallows and not smelt it, um, intentionally to see, you know, how it did. Uh, but that thing is money. I don't know, but, but this year though, I guess, I guess that was, uh, it had been really hot and there was, I couldn't find like it showed water, in places and and it was hard to find water. What it was hard to where find were you guys at? If I could ask, we were in sixty two. Yeah, that's what I thought. You were? Yep. Did you go up by Beef? We were over there by uh, Goddard Bench and all that in that area. In that oh, area. Okay, so you were further. You were to the east of where we hunt. And then and then from there we moved on. We moved on to another area. But yeah, it was it was extremely. It was it was nice and cold in the mornings, and then it get really hot. And uh, it get really hot, and then you'd find like in the shade it get nice and cool again. So we take breaks in the shade and stuff like that, uh, just not to push it. But I mean, like like I was telling you that day, we did about fourteen miles, and uh, coming back, uh, yeah, it was it was a struggle. It was a struggle. If you're not if you're not physically prepared for it, and you're not mentally prepared, I mean, things can go wrong really fast. I man, that there. that unit is a. I really like that unit, dude. It, that's some beautiful country in there. There's there's some really nice elk in that unit. Um, my experience has been that they don't talk <laughs> once oh, man. the season hear, starts. <laughs> I think I heard maybe one or two bugles, and we were cow calling and stuff. We didn't hear anything. But, I mean, to, to tell you, like, when I went, I didn't get to go to the opener because I was on call. So I went the second week and the only reason I went to that unit is because Alan pointed me out to certain areas that I can go hunt because I wasn't going to have time to scout. And when we went out there, it was muzzleloader. So man, there was a bunch of people out there and, uh, it was, it was just knowing about, uh, those guys were out there <laughs> with their muzzleloaders. That's when I texted you. Remember when I told you that a guy had got shot that, yeah, that, that was right up the, that was literally 20 minutes up the mountain for me where that happened. Yeah. Yeah, we were we were down in some drainages. Uh, we we moved out of that area and we moved uh, further up, and we were in some drainages. And we'd be down at the bottom of the drainages, and you look up, and you see these roads, and you can see people just parked on those roads, facing down into the drainages. Like they were just posted up there; they were everywhere. So it's it was scary, man, for being a bow hunter down there and and not not knowing what to expect, you know, and then hearing somebody lost their lives. So it's, it's scary. Yeah. I'm a, I don't know about that, that, that rule they have there or that season they have there in Colorado, man, there's gotta be a better way. Uh, I know, you know, the, the muzzleloader guys may say, well, you guys should wear orange in that, 
you know, in that week period. Um, so we know, but it just, just doesn't, that ain't a smart decision on, on Colorado's part. I'm sorry. That's, yeah, you just uh, gotta know what you when and anytime you point your rifle at something, you know what it is. Don't that's just take thing. it for granted. But and, and I I experienced and saw that this year, and and I won't get into that detail because I think I've talked about it maybe on on Elk Bros. Um, but guys got five days, six days, seven days to get it done. You know, in those week seasons. And, and I agree with you. I'm not discounting what you said. I 100% wholeheartedly agree. But common sense, for whatever reason, or it just goes out the window. And I, I experienced it firsthand uh, this year with uh, – with a gentleman that was out on a, on a muzzleloader hunt, man. And it was, it was very eye opening to me, but it also confirmed, uh, the amount of caution I have when I'm walking around in the woods through muzzleloader season. It's, it's pretty freaking scary, man. Yeah. I remember you told me, uh, when I told you about it, you were like, man, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, so it sounds like people are starting to get desperate. It was starting to get like late in the evenings and people are running out of time. They're starting to get desperate, you know. I mean, there's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that that happened, but I mean, yeah, you're right. Something needs to change. Yeah, it's, it's bad, and it honestly, the change, uh, the change has to begin with us, right? I mean, we can complain about Colorado inserting that season there, but there's a firearm safety issue there. Um, there's some etiquette issues, and there's some some ethical issues. So it has to start with us to make that change. I'm not going to just blame, you know, CDFW on that, but we really got to pull our heads out of our butt um, as hunters, man, and, and know that our, you know, our brethren are in the woods and, and yeah. they know, you know. Yeah, there's, there's so, we got so many things against us now and then something like that happens and it's just. Oh, that's fueling you know, the fire. Somebody's going to get a hold of that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Let's uh, we'll get back on track a little bit. Um, so how does it look, man? How did we were talking about meandering through um, all that consumptive material, right? How does how does that work? How does it map into your mapping, your planning, your prepping um, for for a successful hunt? How does that? How do you dissect everything? Do you have a system now after a few years in? Um, and then even if you want to talk about the you know the what you would recommend. For guys to start um you can say a name not to say a name you don't need to say the bad ones if there are any bad ones but that way someone yeah. listening if they can you know uh put that in their arsenal yeah no there's 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 quite a bit out there for people for people to uh look into and, and gain knowledge from i mean elk rose they got the uh base camp they got their their online system uh to shorten that learning curve uh the, the one that i've been using like i said uh was elk shape. I went to their camp and then they got uh, one called the elk collective and they break everything down and there's tons of video, man. You can just go in there and you're not going to finish it, man. You're they're They're just adding to it all the time. Uh, as far as uh, mapping software and stuff like that, uh, that's all personal preference. Uh, what you're going to like, what you're going to feel uh, more comfortable using, what's more user-friendly to you. Um, but yeah, learning, learning how to, um, look at terrain, uh, topple maps, you know, learning, learning, uh, learning the terrain, learning what you're looking at before you go out there. You know, it makes it a lot easier when you, when you start downloading your maps and you're making a plan, uh, instead of just heading out into the woods and being like, Oh, so-and-so said this was a good area. 
and I'm going to go ahead and try it out. Or so-and-so sent me a pin on Onyx. So I'm just going to head out there. You know, if you don't take the time and, and, and put the effort in, you know, expect the bad results, you know, you got to work for it. It's, it's not going to be easy. So you bring up the topos, right. And, and folks say it all the time. And I know experienced guys that have a hard time um, with topos, with shaded relief maps, et cetera, et cetera. And, and one of the things that, that I'll tell guys, if I'm talking to them, you know, they start talking about maps. I'm like, look, don't, don't solely focus on the area that you're prepping for, you know, get, get the topo of your local range and go to your local range. Even if it's just for that, to learn how to utilize the topo map, be it on Onyx base map, fat maps, whatever it is, go to your home range and start making sense of that contour being a hundred foot apart or that contour being 20 foot apart and understanding what the, the lines of contour on the map are actually representing in the field. Cause we've yeah, all, exactly. we've all done it, right. You, you, you're walking along and then all of a sudden you're like, what's going on here. I'm cliffed out. Right. You got a 200 yeah. foot, you know, vertical in front of you. Um, I mean, even guys, you know, on shaded relief maps, you know, they're looking at the shaded relief map and they go, wait a minute. I thought the, I thought it was vertical on that side, not this side. And then they're cliffed out on the hunt and that stuff. I mean, not that it's defeating or, or super frustrating, um, but it can be very misleading and puts you in a spot to where you're working the terrain and not the elk. Yeah. Like when, when we use Onyx and stuff like that, you have the topos. It's, I think it's the uh, hybrid where you can see both. You can see, uh, and you can see the topo lines and then you can see the actual satellite imagery. And that really helps a lot. And it, uh, it, but understanding what you're looking at, that makes the world of difference because if you're not going to be, if you're, if you're just going to go meandering through the woods, right. And like you said, you're going to be walking then all of a sudden, Oh crap. How, how, uh, how do I get down there? Or, or you put yourself in a bad spot where, okay, now how do I get out? You know, it's, it's, uh, and all it takes too is like, say for instance, you get down into a deep drainage and you're going to, use a lot of energy to go back out the way you came back in when all you had to do was look at your map. Okay. If I keep, if I keep going this way, there's a road I can get out on that road and then I can bypass all that stuff that I just came down from. So, and, and a lot of people will get in trouble with stuff like that. You know, there ain't nothing worse than waking up the next morning at 3 a.m. and still being beat up from the day before, because you know, you're going to push, right. But push, but do it wisely, you know, and that that's yeah. all in that prep, man. No, oh, definitely, definitely. The uh, no, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. How are so? How are you doing it? So for me, like if I'm, you know, if I'm going by myself, I really don't, I don't spreadsheet as much anymore. Uh, I have one that's just already kind of pre-filled out, and I just go through my checklist. But like, especially when the buddies go, um, yeah, I spreadsheet. Everybody has their has their rows and their columns, and and man, go through everything like part of that is more so so guys don't forget something because you know how it goes right if a guy forgets teepee and you're out there for 10 days and you brought 10 days of of, of man wipes right and then dude's like oh man i forgot butt wipes well what is he gonna do right you're gonna you're gonna be spitting stuff out to him so you know you're not gonna let your dude walk around stank ass <laughs> and <laughs> And I've seen guys do it with food. I've seen guys do it with 
teepee. I, I mean, you name it. I, I've seen it. So it's like, uh, to me, I love spreadsheeting that stuff. When it's my pack, I just throw it in. But like the wife went, you know, when she goes up, I'm like, okay, I have her little, you know, her little list because she's not hunting. She's just coming along. So she doesn't need everything. She doesn't need her own, you know, uh, stove or anything like that. Uh, so how are you doing that? How do you map out and, and it Man, takes stock? I'm really, I'm really bad about that, man. Uh, I have like all my gear and, uh, in my garage right now, I have some totes for whitetail season, early season and late season stuff. And then I have some totes for all my Western stuff. So all that stuff just goes in there. Um, last year, uh, I started writing a, a, a journal, right? So I started journaling and then, um, I started writing things that went well, things that I actually used in my pack and things that I didn't. So I started crossing things out, but I never got to the point where I did a spreadsheet um, on the computer. What I did was I just listed my gear uh, on paper and I like, I'll put like my pack, uh, my hydration system, my cook system. I got, I got all that dialed in, but I didn't have a spreadsheet for any of that. And it's really a good idea. Um, Alan, Alan has a spreadsheet. His thing's probably like 20 pages long. <laughs> we, they don't, we don't call him, you know, Alan for, for nothing. And he'll call you and he'll tell you, Hey man, uh, did you see that, that spreadsheet I sent you? Um, go ahead and make it your own, man. Just delete whatever you need and, and, and take it out and, and add whatever you want. But like I said, like having a good mentor, somebody who's been doing it for 20 plus years or whatever, they know what they're doing. And it's for a reason, when you go out there, um, not this year, but the first year I went out, there was a storm that came in. I think we got about man, 13, 18 inches of snow. It was, it was perfect. It was perfect weather. The first two days of scouting. Right. And then all of a sudden we're in our tents at night and you can hear the trees breaking in the woods, you know, for a guy from South Texas, who's never, I've seen like a little bit of snow, but nothing like that. You wake up in the morning and, and we're in the middle of the night and you're tapping snow off the tent to get all that stuff off. Cause it's packing it in. You hear the trees breaking and then, then you realize, okay, shit. That's why Alan brings a chainsaw. That's why he brings an ax. That's why he brings, you know, he, there's a reason he's got this list and that all comes from experience. That's, that's gonna, that's years of experience, man. That's, and that's why it's like, it's very important to have somebody like that. And then guide you along. It's funny because all that stuff, right? It's like, oh man, that's a truckload. But all that stuff just keeps you hunting, right? And it's going to be in base camp. You're not, you know, it's not like you're packing the chainsaw in the woods, but it's base camp yeah. stuff, right? And and honestly, getting in and out sometimes, shoot, that. So you're talking about that was uh, 20, 2020 is when that big snow, I shouldn't say yeah. big snow, but that's when that snow hit there in Colorado. Um, and I think that was what there was two or three days when that smoke just come in and just made everything horrible from those fires. And then the snow we hit. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Where we were at where we were at. We didn't see much of the smoke, you didn't get but, the smoke. The snow, yeah, but the snow came in and uh, where we were at an elevation. I think we were up at 10,000 feet. And then we got up to about where we were going to where we had scouted. I think it got up to like 13,000. And uh, there was guys from Texas that brought their horses or pack pack horses and stuff like that. They had their camps set up. And when we were scouting, we were walking up there and they passed us up. And then the next day we see them bringing all their crap down. 
because I guess the weather alerts had came in and, and they knew something was going to happen. So they brought all their stuff down. Like, and if you don't have what you need, it can, like I said, it can get really dangerous and get ugly really fast. I'm going to have to share that uh, my spreadsheet with Alan because mine, I just do it on uh, on Excel, right? And you can, and everybody could. It's super easy. You could do it on the phone, and it's basically a live document. And, and the rule is, when you get something or whatever you have, you go ahead and check it. And then as you do it, right, it changes on mine too. So when I look at it, it's like, hey, bro, we got two weeks to go. Why are there five things still off your list? Oh, I'm getting them this Wednesday when I get paid. Whatever it is, right? It's like, okay, get your stuff. Yeah. If you need extra, let me know. You know, but we're getting down to the wire, and we even set. Like, hey, everybody has everything ready to go at this point. Fill out your spreadsheet so we know, so we're not worried about it. Because uh, that's, dude, that's the worst. I, I think, I think, and I think I'm subconsciously transitioning. I'm looking at my totes right now. I'm subconsciously transitioning to the tote organization. So it is grab it out for elk, grab it out for deer. Just grab the tote and throw it yeah. in the back. Maybe give a run through. Alan just got back not too not too long ago uh, from his uh, elk hunt, and whatever he used, he already replaced it. He already went out and bought what he used and put it back in there. Already went and refilled Restock. propane canisters. Yeah, dude, he's, I'm telling you, he's, that guy's a beast, man. <laughs> yeah, he's about it, man. He's about it. Yeah. So what what's your what's your favorite? favorite calling are you you a cow calling guy or what's you know i i I know that the elk determine or should determine what you're doing but what do you what do you lean to more than anything and why uh i do i do some elk calling uh what i like to do is uh i'll do some locating locate bugles and a lot more call calling um cow calling i mean uh the last two times that i've been out there they haven't been vocal like there hasn't been I mean, where I've bugled or located, thrown a locate out and something bugled back at me. Uh, I just haven't had that experience out there yet, man. It's, it's, uh, it's been weird. The last, you, you see videos on TV and, and like YouTube and stuff like that. And everybody's bugling and elk are bugling back, but it's not like that all the time. No, not uh, especially in Colorado, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah. You think you're going to, you think you're going to catch the rut and plan it perfectly and all this. And it's, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's, you know, you say the rut, but I think the pressure, the amount of pressure determines how vocal or not they're going to be in my opinion. Right. Because we were, yeah. we, we'd pull up to camp. I mean, you've talked about that, that year with the snow, excuse me, 2020. And we're in camp, you know, the night before opener, the day before opener and bulls are screaming. They're battling back and forth. We have one 50 yards on our level. He was 20 foot off the road, raking and just screaming his head off. And I'm going, this is, this is money, you know, but that happened yeah. the year before the same way. And then the next day, Dude, it was it was pretty much silent by the time all the the trucks come in and people set up and you get all that traffic, you know, it it just shuts them down. And we've watched them have rut behavior, but not be vocal at all. You know, so I I don't know that it's, you know, necessarily the rut. I think it has more to do with the human predation on them than anything and all that pressure. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Everybody that I talk to. Uh, cause, cause, uh, I have a circle of friends that we all, we all met, like I said, at that L shape camp, 
and we all uh, stayed in contact. And the guys, uh, a friend of mine, he did, he was successful this year. He shot a nice bull uh, in Colorado. And he, everybody that I spoke to said that they were just responding to cow calls. They weren't hearing many bugles, but uh, cow calls were, were getting, uh, were getting them in close enough, enough for, for them to hear some response and, and see them. Uh, they didn't hear many bugles, but they were responding to the cow calls. So that was one thing um, that I took from that. Another thing, like um, we're out there to talk about having uh, friends and, and uh, mentors and stuff like that. Like when you have a good solid group of guys that actually that care about elk hunting and care about their buddies being successful, like, man, I had so much, uh, so much people like, buddies of mine calling me and, and texting me, Hey man, have you seen this? Have you seen that? Hey, where are you at? Okay. I'm over here. Uh, I'm not seeing anything. Okay. Let me do some e-scouting for you. Like guys were do, actually doing e-scouting for me and telling me, Hey man, you need to, check, you need to go up here and check this place out. Maybe, maybe you're going to be successful over here or um, guys calling me and asking me they're hunting the unit that I hunted before. And uh, they drew a tag in there and they're in their solo by themselves. And Hey man, where did you go hunt? And uh, where did you see them that last time? And, and I'm just giving them input. No, it's, it's, uh, it makes you feel good. And it makes it feel like, you know, that, that, uh, there's guys out there struggling with you and guys that are actually pulling for you as well. I, I, so I, I think that that's the, the magic of that connection, right? Because everyone knows it's not easy. I don't care if you're 10 years, 20 years in, or if you're a year in, right. The, yeah. the playing field is never level. Um, you may have a little more experience, but it's the same freaking grind uh, and you're up against it, you know, uh, the, and those animals just have a resilience and a will to live. That is just, it's just unmatched, man. I mean, there's there's something else, their behavior, there's the social aspects. Um, yeah, there's a reason phenomenal. it's 10%. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a reason it's 10% success rate. Man. Yeah. Tell me about it. Good Lord. Um, so, so what's your outlook for it? Are you, are you like any bull, any cow, whatever? I'm just taking this, the first elk at this point or how's, how's yeah, that looking this, to you? This year, this past year, I got a either sex tag. So it was first thing I see. Uh, I really just wanted to get an animal down and experience the pack out. Because like I said earlier, that once you're in the woods, once your boots are down, I'm already ahead. I'm, it's like I said, it's worth the price of admission. So at that point, I'm not going to turn down a cow if that's going to be my first ever um, shot or my experience there in, in the woods. You know, I'll, I'll take the cow because the cow, is still, you're still going to struggle packing that thing up. It doesn't matter if it's a cow or a bull. And it's no easier. Uh, uh, honestly, I mean, if you look at the 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 cows, I mean, you talk lead cow especially, right? She's the a-hole that keeps it down at 10% most of the time. <laughs> yeah. And, and they, the meat tastes the same and you can't, you can't eat the banners, you know? No, but so, I can put my hands on them sons of... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, I know. Stretch I'm my trying, arms I'm away. To, stretch my arms <laughs> way out so I'm barely touching it and make it look like the oh, biggest yeah. set of rack ever, man. Dude, I'm short. I'm like I'm like 5'4", so like those things will be towering over me, dude. Stand like six feet back, man. You got a 400-inch bull. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, but it's, like I said, I mean, you gotta set goals for yourself. Like if you go out there your first year and you say, okay, my, I just want to see an animal, you know, or, you know, or I just want to, I want to hear a bull, you know, just set little goals for yourself and, 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 uh, don't over overwhelm yourself with, Oh man, I got to shoot a bull. It's a, it's a three fifty or, or bus. I'm, I'm not going to accept anything less than that. You know, you got to have realistic goals and, and expectations. So you telling me you telling me that I'm playing a fool's game? <laughs> uh, I mean, you you've 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 seen them, you've seen them. So it's that's a different story. This is a two part question. So what what's your Achilles' heel, right? What is your Achilles' heel? Um, one in the woods, and then two in the learning. Like, where do you feel like you're behind the learning curve as you're prepping and going through everything? And then and when you get in the woods, wh- why do you think uh, you haven't notched a tag yet? I think I need to work more on my on my calling and the knowledge of the calling of what does this call mean? And what does this call do? What does this sound do? You know, like when they're talking, there's a reason they're talking a certain way. You know, I, I, I lack on that. I still need to study study with that, um, and learn more of that, that to me, that's probably my biggest weakness as far as, uh, physically fit. I mean, I, I train during the year. I'm not going to say I'm the fittest person on, on, on earth, but I mean, when I, when I train, I, I train, uh, for endurance and I train for, for my cardio and, and, and I know what to expect when I'm out there. Cause I've been there before. So I'm good on, on, on that point, but yeah, my, my weakness would have to be calling, calling and knowledge, knowledge of the calling. I need to, I need to study it more up on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I, I think we're all, we all, until we get those years, right. And, and we're punching those tags. I think we all think we are a bit better than we actually are. And that for me this year, that was one of the pluses was I was able to prove that to myself uh, and then prove it to other folks where right? I got folks that I was hunting with and that was pretty cool. Um, but man, I, I would say on the calling for me, right. For me, um, I'm not talking about sequence. I'm not talking about anything, but language, Michael Batiste and Chris Rowe, that, yeah. that is going to be, that's, that's the two right there when we're talking language, um, in terms of explanation, working with, um, and really getting your language part of calling up to par. Um, and then, and then dude, I, I, I can't say enough. Like now, if you want to emulate a guy calling Jermaine Hodge, like, yeah, dude, I mean, that, that guy is like, <laughs> when you, when I listen to him, I'm like, I don't even get it. I just don't get it. And I'll sit there and I'll listen. Yeah. Uh, Jermaine will post something and I'll stay on that sucker for an hour and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna get it. And I'm like, and it's just like, damn, man, he's that good. But, uh, have you, have, have you had a chance to listen to somebody not, not just like on video or on YouTube, but have you heard one of these guys actually bugle like at a seminar or anything like that? Yeah. Michael. Like up close? Okay. Well, I, this last year at, at camp, I got to hear Dirk. Dirk Durham, the bugler. Yeah, you know what? I've heard Dirk. So when I, what was that? 20, 2019, I was right next to the Phelps booth at the hunt expo. Um, yeah. Saw him, Jason, the whole gang was over there just piping. And it's funny. You know, like, you, 
listen to those listen to those episodes that's all you hear is the phelps crew just piping all day you know like when you pick up your bugle tube and you're gonna practice and like you have to like pick it up and like work yourself into it like to make that sound and then you see them just pick it up and just right off the bat they just rip one you know you're over here thinking about it but it's repetition you know you practice and practice and practice it gets a lot it gets easier but man, I heard him, I heard Dirk uh, do some bugling and stuff. Man, that thing hits you straight in the guts, man. When he when he lets one rip, it's an awesome, it's awesome sound, man. They don't call that guy the bugler for no reason, that's for sure. Yeah, the, that was awesome. He's he's a real, really nice guy, man. Yeah, Jason, really? Jason can blow too, though. Jason, yeah. oh dude, Jason could hit it. Where did, you know what matter of fact, I think uh, when they were up at uh, Northwest Mountain Challenge up at uh at Hoodoo in Oregon, they were both up there and uh Dirk was going after it then and Jason Jason a little bit. But yeah, it is it's it's interesting to hear a guy that can really really call and you know he's, you know, a a killer. And that's the thing, right? Is calling is a calling is a part of it. But it, I don't know that it's everything that it's made out to be, right? The emphasis that we put on calling is – it's like 80% of what we're looking at, right, yeah. when, when we're getting into elk hunting. And, and honestly, I believe it's maybe 20% of the game. Um, there's so much more involved with it, right? Just Just being in the right – uh, in the right place and understanding why the elk want to be in, you know, spot A, B or C or why they're traveling through this corridor. Um, so I think there's a lot of emphasis placed on that and it's hugely important. I don't want people to hear, well, that's, um, but I think it's a lot smaller piece of the pie than we make it out to be. Did, uh, did you do any night dueling? Or locating at night. Oh heck yeah, them suckers wouldn't let me sleep, dude. This was and it was pretty exciting because this was the first year where they were just piping off in Colorado. So I'd get oh, up. That's right. Yeah, I'd get up, you man. That they were vocal at night, and then during the day, they, they it, 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 yeah. And and when the when. When season opened, they were talking during the day, and I must say, and Brandon might correct me if I'm wrong, but. I'm going to say within three or four days, uh, it was pretty quiet during the day. Um, first couple days, dude, it was just like, you know, cracking off, cracking off, cracking off. And the biggest issue that I have is understanding, and this year helped a lot with that, is understanding how far away I am from them when they do bugle, yeah. right? That's That was a ch- – and I didn't realize it was going to be a challenge, but it was an absolute challenge um, to judge that distance. And it cost me a couple of setups or it cost Brandon a couple of setups because I thought we were a lot closer than we were, you know? So they get to that hangup point and it's just like, dang it, man. I thought we were further along than that. Were you, uh, getting into the brush and just looking for sign and, you know, the first, you- well, so, the one area, Brandon, when we went up mountain, uh, Brandon had hunted uh, with uh, Stephanie, his daughter, last year, and they hunted the heck out of it. So Brandon was familiar with it. Um, we knew where the elk were going to be. We went over there immediately. We were inside. We didn't see any elk. Uh, but I had got that daggum altitude sickness, man, and it just pummeled me because I were just we ran up to 11,000 plus um, as soon as we got there. I tried to do it. I think we went down the second day, 
I think we went, no, nah, it was the end of the opener night. I think we went down. Anywho, we were on the way up the mountain and we saw elk, you know, going over a ridge and we was like, you know, we'll just go back down there. We know there's elk there. And, uh, man, it, it turned out to be an amazing area. Did you take anything for your altitude sickness? I tried everything, dude. Nothing. Yeah, have you tried have you tried a wilderness athlete? Uh, it's called altitude advantage. Didn't do anything. It didn't do anything. Not a thing. Man, I was I uh, differently. Cause I, I, I haven't had any issues. I, I, I take that and I haven't had any, any issues with it. it. You know, it's weird because I think, so when I was doing the, uh, the Mount archery fest events, um, was the first time I ever had it. And that was, uh, I want to say that it was the beaver event. We were like 10, 10, five to 10, seven or something like that. And it was the first time I had, I got altitude sickness, never had it before. Um, and they say, once you get it, you're more susceptible or more likely to get it after that. Um, so yeah. I got to get, if I can get two to three days exposure, I'm okay. But past 10, about 10, five, I start to feel it. They say the same thing about heat stress. Uh, once you, once you uh, get susceptible to heat stress and uh, uh, you, you're, you're more susceptible to get it uh, more often. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there too. <laughs> 100, 115 degrees here. And uh, we ran out of water, man, dehydrated. Pee was like bright orange and uh, it lasted it lasted two about two years after that. I could I could still feel it on me. I'd get those weird sweats when it was, you know, in the nineties. Um, and I could just feel that that fatigue and like that yuck. Did you ever get that where you like turn your head really fast and everything like moves in slow motion? Do the the time that we ran out of water, uh, I was with my buddy Drew and I I turned around to him and I go, dude, I'm dizzy. I go, if I hit the deck, I said, just just book it down, get water, get hydrated and come back and get me. Don't try and carry me down. Right. Cause that was like, if I go, he's hurting too. If I go yeah. and then, you know, he tries to help me, he's going to go. I'm like, dude, just let me hit the deck. And then you just haul ass to the vehicle, get some water and then come back for me. Yeah. That's, that's rough, man. Uh, that altitude sickness. I've, I've never experienced it, but from what I've heard and, and read it, it affects people differently. And, and, it doesn't affect everybody. Some people will be fine. And then other people will just be like, man, that's why if you're hunting with a partner, you really got to be looking out for your partner and looking out for those signs. Well, there's, so there's three, there's three types, right? There's uh high altitude pulmonary edema, which affects the lungs. That's the most common. Then there's uh high altitude flautus expulsion, right? That's when you catch altitude farts. That's a real, it's legitimate, real thing. Um, <laughs> And then there's a uh, high altitude, uh, haste, high altitude cranial epidemia. Um, and then that one, that's the one that I got. And you get these really, really bad headaches. I mean, your eyes, it feels like your eyes are like popping out of your head almost. It's dude, it's yeah. miserable, miserable. Um, but that's, that is the least common when I talk to, I forget the doctor's name, shame on me. Um, the hafe, the flatch, flatch, flautus expulsion, when flautus is what they say, medical, um, is the most common. 
more people get that and they don't even realize it. Like, you know, when we went to Beaver, that's what I got. We're walking and I'm like, <laughs> you know, dude, like every five <laughs> steps, you know, every two steps. And I was with, uh, who was I with? I was with Sil, Silvano, and then Keith Naylor, uh, Spike Bull. And they were like, good Lord, man, what did you eat? I'm like, dude, I don't know what I ate, but I don't know what's going on with my stomach. And then I uh, started reading about it because of the headaches and then was like, oh, man, I had the headaches plus that. It was it's pretty funny, man. But that's the child in me. <laughs> yeah, dude, uh, my wife, uh, she does ministry work and and they take kids to camp and uh, Young Life. There's a Young Life camp in Buena Vista. And she had gone up there uh, the year before without me. And the following year, I went up there to do some work and help them out at the camp. And she says that they call them the altitudes. <laughs> you can, you can the altitudes. Yeah. And I didn't know what she was talking about, dude. But we pulled into we pulled into Buena Vista, and uh, I'm breathing I'm breathing in the air, and I'm like, man, I don't see what the big deal is, like, dude. But I start I started the next day. I woke up with like a little bit of a headache. And I started doing, I thought maybe I was just dehydrated or whatever, but I started doing work and I was like, man, okay, now I know, now I know you got to ease yourself into this. You know, it's no fucking matter, man. It could hit you. And the best, you know, so folks listening, the best thing you could do is just drop altitude. Um, for me, it's about 80, no, 7,800 feet. Uh, if I get to 7,800 feet or below, it's like it, it just almost instantly goes away. Like you could just feel the dramatic change in your entire body. And then I think I'm a, I'm a two day or if I can get to that, you know, 8,000 foot mark, hang out for a day or two and exert some, some energy and, and push myself a little bit. I can go right back up. Dude, I'm looking at, yeah, I'm looking at my watch right now and my altitude is negative three. Oh, wow. Three you're lower. You're lower than me. I'm 17 feet. So I got you by 20 feet. <laughs> yeah. And you get up to those mountains, man. I mean, there's no train for, there's no, you can't train for that elevation. I mean, you can be in the best physical shape you, you can be, but, Unless you experience it and and know how to ease your way into it, I mean, there's there's really no no training for it. I mean, as far as they got those training masks and stuff like that, and they say that that stuff doesn't even work. Well, so so I talked to I talked to a doctor about this. I had an episode uh, getting ready for last year, right? Because I had that experience uh, in Beaver uh, over the summer at the three D shoots. So you know, got a hold of. Uh, Colorado high altitude research and spoke with the doctor there and, and the training mask doesn't work per se, but in terms of strengthening the diaphragm to deal with the exerted, because what happens is everything speeds up, your heart rate speeds up, your respiration speeds up. It does help in that sense. Now it doesn't okay. exactly stim or simulate, excuse me. It doesn't simulate being up at 11,000 feet, but it can help with the increased respiration, strengthening the diaphragm. So you're less fatigued because that fatigue, because your body's not used to it being so low, that fatigue just adds to the symptoms. Um, so, you know, they say that, yeah, I get it. It, it, doesn't work in one respect, but yeah, it can help you um, just in that conditioning. And and honestly, I have one and I, so I got one and they have different caps that go on them. Yeah. And I put the tightest cap on and dude, it sucks. You do any, did you use that? huh? Did you, use that, did you use that during your 75 hard? Did you use that uh, when you were doing that this year? 
a little bit, a little bit. I would like drive around and stuff. It sucks. It's it's uncomfortable, right? I mean, it's very, very uncomfortable to get used to. Um, but there is a difference. Like I, I can feel a difference in capacity more than anything. Uh, oh, okay. I don't. I don't think that that takes the place of going from you know plus seventeen to plus eleven thousand four, um, but definitely in capacity and and strengthening the diaphragm. I, I I do feel like there's some benefit to it, or there can be some benefit to it. I'm not sure, and I, I think I'm going to experiment with it a little more this year, getting ready uh, to see how it can benefit me. Um, it, and tell you what, it sucks, dude. You you do anything you you know if you have a box or you do burpees with it, like you're ready to snatch it off after thirty oh, yeah, seconds. It's it sucks. What does what does your training look like for this year? Not I do. I want to get back. I you know I was running a lot, um, doing a lot of mountain runs, and I had I don't know what it was. I had some kind of pinch or something in my back, and it just kind of knocked me off everything. Um, it it feels better, but I've tried a couple times and it's flared up, and I've been worried about because it puts me down. Like I was up to, I was up to almost fifteen miles on the mountain, and it oh, knocked awesome. me down, and it was just like I couldn't do anything. And then I you know go up, and it was like I would try and fight through it, and then I would have to walk back after two three miles. So, um, I want to get back to that, dude. I really, I really enjoy the mountain runs. Um, because for me, I'm, I'm not a small dude. I'm a big dude anyway. And I've always lifted heavy, right? Everything that I've always, every, if I'm doing something, I'm lifting heavy. You get a lot of mass, that mass is muscle mass is expensive on the mountain. So I'm like, I'm going to just get away from that and I'm going to run. And those mountain yeah. runs, man, they challenged me like nothing else, you know, and it was it was awesome, dude. So I want to get back to that. I want to I never made it to my saddle because of the back issue. I was I was pushing for, you know, almost a 23 mile run total. Um, so I want to get back to that here pretty quick and, and start, you know, chasing that mountain again. But I do need to I do would, uh, more like box work and stuff like that, because that that deadfall yeah. kick your butt. Oh, dude, deadfall? That's horrible, horrible stuff, man. For somebody who hasn't been out there, you'll know what we're talking about when you see <laughs> everything's just down on the ground, dead trees. But when it's fine, like if you run into a, a piece here every now and then, but when you get into a big patch of it, man, it's horrible. Dude, Alan, Alan would, uh, he was, man, horrible about this like every day because he wasn't hunting with us so he wanted to know where we we're at hey man make sure you share your location with me like, hey what are you doing you, you guys are just sitting there <laughs> living you guys are just sitting there yeah you you just sitting there hey uh oh you're by that patch of deadfall right I'm like yeah yeah we're we're trying to get around this one area man and it was just the deadfall in that one area was horrible man it'll it it'll make horrible. you reconsider the area oh yeah you know Really, yeah. really quick. Really Heck quick. Yeah. Well, and you, you know, you talk about you talk about physical preparation, physical fitness, you know, for for elk season. And I don't I don't know that it's emphasized enough. I don't follow a lot of the stuff um, that folks are putting out. But I would say, you know, like just your flexibility and your mobility. Right. Like we, we worry yeah. about endurance a lot and, and you know, being strong and, and we don't worry about 
mobility and flexibility and how important that is in that prep, you know, so that, you know, you asked me, that's one of the things that I won't pass up, you know, like I do yoga. I love yoga. Uh, Believe that or not. Oh dude, it's amazing. And, and it's physically strenuous, but you can feel the difference in everything you do. Um, But I think folks, you know, don't look past, you know, Please, guys, don't look past that half an hour, an hour, you know, stressing session. Um, if you got, you know, if you got a rest day or an off day, making an active rest or off day and get an hour and a half to two hours of stretching and work on that mobility and flexibility, that'll pay dividends in season, especially yeah, if you stay at it. <laughs> and then it helps with it helps with being sore. Right. A lot of us ain't spring chickens. So, you know what I mean? You, you work out hard, you know, three, four, five days a week. And man, when you're climbing out of bed in the morning, you're like, Oh, but if you're stretching, man, it's, it's, it's money. And if you, you know, if you do yoga, I don't care if you do yoga in the living room and you start on a beginner's, uh, beginner flow, dude, that's a workout, man. Is it? Oh, absolutely. It is, man. But it's nice when you, when you get into the zone with yoga and you dim the lights and you get into the flow and you understand what you're doing, you start to feel stuff that you never even felt before. It's just, it's amazing, man. Amazing. When you were out there for those, uh, you did, you said you did 30 days, right? I did. I I was, I had 30 days. Uh, I ended up, I ended up coming home. I want to say, I can't remember. It was either, it was 24. It was 24 days because I tried to get my wife to go back. And uh, that bull had been kicking my butt, man. And I was beat up for a couple of days and had just some really good encounters. And I was in camp one night. I got back really late, dude. And uh, I had a good, because I ride my motorcycle to the trailhead. I let just park my truck, jump on the bike and go and uh, got back I had a really cool ride back it was like a four mile ride and just you know just smiling ear to ear on the ride back and I sit down in camp and I'm about to eat dinner and whatnot and I'm sitting there man and the clouds are coming in and the moon is out and I'm like damn what a bitch at night man got all my stuff ready for the next day and uh, woke up the next morning I'm gonna say it was 3 or 3.30 boots are on laced up I'm, I think I was putting my vest on dude what time were you going to sleep <sighs> Probably ten thirty, ten thirty to eleven. Okay. And uh, I was I was putting my vest on, and I was just like, just looking. At, nobody could see me, but you. I'm looking around, and I was like, you know what? I'm good. And I said that, and I, dude, I was like smiling ear to ear. And there was something that night, right? Every night when I got to camp or at the end of the hunt, whatever it was, you know, I'd look up and I would just give thanks. Like, thank you for the, for the opportunity. And thank you for the ability, Lord, you know, for, for, for me to be able to experience this. And there was something, I don't know what it was about that night, dude. And when I woke up, I was just perfect. And I looked at everything. I closed the tent up, dude, cause it's on the truck, closed the tent yeah. up, put the motorcycle on the back of the truck, threw all my crap in the back seat, and said, I'm going home to mama. And dude, I, I mean, I drove and I was just like, I didn't even give it a second thought, man. And I was just grinning here. Like that was an amazing hunt. And I think part of it was there was, there was a period of a day and a half, two days, dude, where I was frustrated. I was beat up. I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong or, you know, why it wasn't going my way. You start to, you know, you start to feel sorry for yourself is what it was. Yeah. 
And then, you know, I had this realization, like, who, why am I looking the gift horse in the mouth? Like, I, I, I'm having all this experience. I'm blessed to be able to spend 30 days on the mountain, right? My wife's not complaining about it. Work ain't firing me. What, what are you crying about? You know what I mean? What are you upset about? And I think it was just, it just finally came full circle. And, yeah. and I felt... At that point, it was like, okay, I'm good. Like, I've had enough experience this year to solidify myself in terms of where I'm at with my calling, my ability to understand the animals and to be in the animals, you know, and and the hunt was done. I was like, let's roll. Although I did say, told my wife, hey, you know, closer is on Tuesday or Wednesday. You want to go back to Colorado this weekend? (laughs) 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 After a couple days. But yeah, dude, it was just like see ya and it was it was just complete you know it's weird did you hunt um with a partner or or some days and then a lot of the times by yourself so i had so brandon waddell was there i i was called i called the first five days of the season i just straight up called for brandon um if i got an opportunity if i saw the right bull i would have arrow you know that right bull but it would have been if brandon wasn't anywhere around or the bull came in and he came into me and not to my shooter and then after that my buddy drew was there um he came in i think it was like a thursday or friday maybe a thursday my wife flew in that saturday i picked her up they were there for i think my wife did seven days drew did 10 days so maybe he was there for three, then she came in. And then the rest of the time I was there by myself. Yeah, the reason I'm asking is because, you know, how we were talking about earlier about a partner and uh, your partner's there to, you know, help motivate you. You know, um, Dan's always said the two things you can control are your attitude and your effort. You know, and I think that's a, a big thing for especially us and you guys that are coming up. You know, uh, when you got a good partner and his attitude and his effort, represents that and it's really good man it makes it so much easier for you to push for you to push and wake up the next day at three o'clock in the morning you got somebody hey man let's go get up you know get the, let's get the coffee going let's 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 get up and and let's hit it again that's that's it's contagious well i will i will say i will say that that yes i agree with that but attitude and effort on day 17 and day 22 it, it's you have oh, to yeah. be conscious of it right because yeah. you know you'll you'll wake up and do we were and that's part of it too right i mean you are spent i mean you're talking 3 34 a.m wake ups right and yeah. it's coffee get ready go and then yeah. by the time you get back if you're base camping it's 9 30 to 10 30 then you eat right so it's 11, 1130 by the time you crash and you're getting three and a half to four and a half hours of sleep and you do that for 15 to 17 days consecutively. Oh, yeah. Your, your oh. attitude and your effort are going to go down a little bit. Hey, dude, <laughs> the, the biggest is your attitude, right? And it, and then when, when the elk go quiet or something changes or the elk push to private or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, you have to be so conscious of that and keep it, you know, and, and just staying in that gratitude mode that, Hey, I'm out here, opportunity, ability. Right. I mean, that, that's all I could tell myself because there was days and I was just like, I wanted to chuck, I'm not going to BS. I wanted to chuck my bow off a cliff a couple of times just out of frustration. (laughs) You know, it's like F this, what am I doing? Uh, But then you got to reel yourself in, 
you know, because you, you, you start to lose sight of all the, I was calling bulls in for Brandon, dude. I got, you know, I'm talking back and forth, bulls, cows, I'm calling herds to us from 300 yards away. Jump. They're jumping private fences to come to us. And I forgot about all that because that attitude, you know, and it just starts to suck. You can get through that. If a guy can do, if you can do 10 days and keep your chin up for 10 days and then reflect on what you went through, you, you can get through anything. If you could do a month, dude, that, and that's the one thing, like for me, that's one thing I'm, I'm most proud of is, is staying on the mountain for 24 days through all the adversity and still, driving away with a smile on my face and, and planning for the next year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. We did, we did, we did 14 days and, uh, I think a little bit more than 14 days, but, um, I wanted to do what you did. Maybe next year, fly my wife into Montrose and, and have her up there for a little bit and maybe knock out another, another week, get another week, you know? So that and that's but, amazing experience, man. I I love when my wife comes up, and and she got her first she got her first hit of elk adrenaline this year, and uh, it was pretty awesome to watch it. You know, she, you know, like she's shooter or something. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's that's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing, dude. That's why I told her we were just in Colorado, and she freaks out over big muley bucks. Like she goes ape shit, and I'm like, oh, you're hunting mule deer. I like you're you're this far from hunting mule deer because she sees a big buck and she's like, oh oh oh, look look, look. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I got a mule deer hunter on my hands. I met a guy. I met a guy uh, there in uh, in Colorado, and his name is CJ, and uh, he's like. He, show, he was showing me pictures of uh, mule deer bugs, and he's like, oh, man, there's, this area is known for some big muleys. He's showing me pictures and stuff like that, and, and uh, he's like, hey, man, next year, man, put in for this unit or whatever. And we're like, okay, well, he got up and moved to Utah, and uh, now he's in Utah. So, CJ, if you're listening, uh, he already sent an in, uh, uh, invite for me to go out to Utah and apply for some spots in Utah, but... Dude, when are you going to come to Texas, man? Dude, let me see what happens with uh, with with my plans as going. I'd love to get there sometime right after uh, that beginning of January, dude. That'd be awesome. I have uh, I have a tag. Well, I have my two tags actually left here: my late season archery and my bear tag. That are I got to clean those up by the end of this month. Um, so I don't want to pull any more time away from those. I haven't even been out there. I only hunted two days since September, dude. No. No, I take that back. Two days on those tags, but I did go over to Catalina. I hunted for three days there. Um, so I want to get those tags. Not that's why I was telling you, I'd, I'd love to get down there, man, and and chase. It's been years since I chased those whitetail. That'd be cool. But yeah, if we could do something like January to February, man, that'd be amazing. Well, you're more than welcome, man. We got we got some uh, some deer and some exotics out here. Uh, put you on something. Um, yeah, dude. I just shot a. a I shot a doe uh, Monday, white toe doe, and I took that to get uh, processed, dropped it off. So I'm looking forward to that. The freezer was already getting a little low, so <laughs> we needed to replenish. We we had a couple of miles in my house, and and that's all we eat. I mean, we don't really buy much meat. If we have to, yeah, chicken and a little bit of steak, but for the most part, it's all it's all game meat, and uh, it was starting to get. We're starting to run low on it. 
It's good when the kids love that stuff, though, man. It's uh, it's funny because, you know, I was looking, I'm like, man, I got, I was giving venison away because I'm like, man, I still got a bunch of venison in this freezer. So I was just like, you know, I was certain I was coming back this year with an elk. So I'm giving venison away, dude, by the cooler load. (laughs) And then I come home without an elk and I was like, oh, damn, I need to kill something. (laughs) I get a, I get a lot of crap down here because. I get real picky with my whitetails and uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'll shoot does and, and I, I got, I, I got a target buck and stuff like that. And I want to shoot this deer or whatever, but I mean, it's like uh, we were talking about earlier. Uh, the trophy is in the eye of the beholder, man. Like nowadays you see like on TV or you see these hunting shows and everything's about a 200 inch whitetail buck. And man, you can shoot a nice, 130, 140, something small down here in South Texas. And, and it's a trophy, man. Don't, don't uh, let anybody discourage you and, and people talking about, Oh, what's, well, it's not, it's not the biggest, but it's what I, I, hate, I shot this. Week yeah, there, dude, I know? hate that. I, I, I'll give people that a little bit of guff when they qualify it, right? It's like, man, you don't ever have to qualify anything you decide to take for for someone else's opinion you know the how many how many folks don't notch a tag every year how many folks haven't killed a 200 inch uh white tail or muley it's like come on man don't don't qualify your animal you 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 almost belittle that animal in my opinion i guess for the lack of a better word you know what i mean it's just it, it's almost yeah. a disrespectful thing to me i mean and, and also like you take a life you're taking an animal life what, what like usually what I do is uh like I don't know what you do when you when you, when uh, you harvest an animal but but usually I'll, I'll grab some grass and put it in its mouth give it its last meal and give thanks give thanks for 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 feeding my family and and for its life but uh you know it's it's hard and people think that we're just out there bloodthirsty wanting to kill animals but it's that's not the case you know there's a no there's a there's a, a, lot that goes into it. There's a huge amount of respect and and admiration um for those animals, man. I mean, just to think, you know, I think people looking at it on the outside in don't realize what it takes to do it where we, where we know what it takes and and it's not a level playing field and it's not an easy pursuit. You know, I think that's where our admiration and our respect from them comes, man. You know, that, that killing them is not an easy thing. Um, as, as much, elation and fun and everything we have, but that's in the pursuit, right? That's not, it's about the entire package. It's not about the act of killing, you know, that brings a smile to our face. It's that, it's that goal that we reached. Right. And, and do there's, there's studies on hunters and that since I think it's 1972, they started. And when you read it, it's just like, it's almost hard to stomach because everything is about the killing and, you know, the goal is to kill. It's just crazy to see it, but they're missing, they're missing so many facets of it, you know? And honestly, without those proteins, would man be where man is now? And yes, you can go buy it from the store, that BS argument, just like our BS freezers full argument, but that's not, you know, that's not it. It really isn't it. We're, we're detached from that whole thing, man. But yeah, that qualification is crap. It's a total package though, man. It's not just like you said, like it's when I was telling you earlier, it's not just 
the killing of the animal, but it's the experience of being out there in the mountains, being out there in the woods, being out there with other animals that can kill you <laughs> or eat you or, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, it's an experience, man. And, and unless you've experienced it, I mean, you, you got no leg to stand on when you, when you talk and you want to talk bad about hunters and hunting, uh, uh it's it's just uh I, I don't know it's it's a slippery slope right now with everything that we're facing so that's a good a good segue man for the closing so in your opinion right or from where you sit stand whatever what what can we do as hunters to promote our way of life and shed a better light on what we do to outsiders just look into organizations like uh, Sportsman's Alliance, um, not even just organizations, you know, take a friend hunting, take take your kids uh, hunting, take your kids' friends hunting, you know, get somebody involved, get somebody to experience the outdoors, you know, because it's, it's contagious. And when you get these people out there, they're going to turn around and get their friends out and you know it's just a cycle but just know your your dad and 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 know your laws and and know the bills that are being passed and educate yourself because a lot of times these things are getting passed and it's right under our noses and we're not even paying attention you know and 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 like the last couple of podcasts you've you've uh talked about how we're we're just doing it to ourselves a lot of things that we're doing, we're doing it to ourselves. And and granted, you know, in Texas, we don't have a lot of public land. There's pretty much the state owns everything and, and, and it's all high fence ranch. And, and it's, it's a, it's a business in Texas pretty much, you know, with these ranches down here. And uh, uh, that's why a lot of people, when we go, we to hunt elk and Western hunting, we go to, we go to, and we hunt public land and, if we don't protect those rights and if we don't educate and we don't get people into hunting, then little by little, those rights are going to go away and, and, and that privilege is going to go away and, and it's not going to be here for much longer, you know? And, and that's my, that's where I stand on stuff like that. You know, you've been talking about, you've been talking a lot about it lately and, and uh, I really respect your stance on, on, on where you're at. And, and, and the last couple of guests that have been talking about it, it's really open my eyes to stuff like that because like I said, I'm, I'm from Texas. I'm, I'm not out in the West. So introducing wolves, uh, banning bear, uh, hunting, banning, uh, mountain lion hunting, you know, just because I'm in Texas and I feel like it doesn't affect me, but as a hunt, as a hunter, it, it affects my way of life and it affects the group that I represent, you know? Yep. In, in fighting and apathy will be the death of us. If, if we don't have an attitude like you have, man, it'll, uh, it'll smack us. Well, yeah, yeah, it will. It will. Well, shoot brother. I appreciate the time, man. It's been uh, awesome shooting the mess with you. Um, anything you want to close with? Yeah, no, just a uh, guy. I really appreciate what you're doing. Uh, really glad that you're back on, man. I really was missing the podcast. Thanks, I man. was on you for a while, yeah. man. You know, we talk, <laughs> talked about it that once. I was like, hey, dude, when are you going to put a podcast? It's been a while. You know, it's uh, like I said, there's certain podcasts that I listen to. And yours is one of the ones that I really enjoy. And, and appreciate uh, that, man. I, I, I just look forward to 
seeing that podcast come up. Oh man, guys got another one. Let me listen to that one today. You know, so, so you're doing, you're doing a good job and, and, uh, uh, don't be too hard on yourself, man. I appreciate uh, that, bro. You're making, you're making, you're making a difference and, and, uh, we're listening, man. We're listening. So we need, we need, we need people like you. Thank you, man. It means a lot. All right, my brother, we'll be talking. Uh, you guys follow Ruben on Instagram. Uh, give him a message. He's always very responsive. If you got any questions, you know, and you're a new hunter or a new elk hunter out there and you want to pick his brain a little bit, I don't think he's going to turn you away. I'm sure he'll answer the questions, give you his perspective. Hey, I, I got one more. I got one more thing, guys. Sorry about that. Oh, no. Yeah, bro. There was, there was an episode of Elk Bros. And if somebody's listening on the shout outs, they did a, a shout out to somebody in San Benito, Texas, which is where I'm from. And I've been trying to get a hold of somebody, you know, there's a grinder out there that's in my city. If, if, you're, li- if, you're, if you're listening to Western Contours or, or elk, elk Bros are listening right now, see if I can get a hold of that guy or give me some information on that. Really appreciate it. There it is. There's, there's your network right there, brother. There's community. <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. All right, bro. We'll talk to you, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. Yeah, God bless. Thank you for listening. Follow Western Contours on Instagram, subscribe on YouTube, and sign up at westerncontours.com. Episodes are available on most major platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down.